Hello, and welcome to Piecing It All Together. Hey, I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. This is episode 7 of Piecing It All Together. P-E-A-C. I-N-G. <laughs> we love that little play of words. So thank you, everybody, for all of the support we've been getting, for the shares. If you uh, listen to an episode and you like it, please let your friends know about it. We're going to need some iTunes reviews and uh, Stitcher reviews. Um, even if you hate it, give us five stars and then say why you hate it. Uh, that'll be a good trade. We'll, uh, we'll exchange that. Uh, but we are loving the interactions, and we want to say thanks to everybody for your feedback and your comments, your questions, and your suggestions. Um, they are helping us a lot as we find our footing with this new platform. And um, for our Patreon supporters, we want to say thank you for that vote of confidence and that support. We are glad to be in this with you together. Here, here. So what you're going to hear on today's episode is a little bit different. Randy had been invited to an everyday revival uh, last week, and we were up in southeast Portland at Sunnyside. Um, it was called Love Thy Neighbor. Love Thy Neighbor. And it was in a partnership, in a way, between a group you're uh, well acquainted with, the Inhabit Crew. Right. The Parish Collective folks from up in Seattle. And then my denomination, the United Methodist, have... Uh, partnered with them for this Love Thy Neighbor revival series. This was the first one, and you got to be the final presenter at the the last... Uh, it wasn't a keynote. I closed it. The, yeah, the gathering at the end. Genuine revival sense. There was a gospel band. There was loud Ooh, music. Very loud. <laughs> <laughs> but what you had been asked to come and talk about was actually... The Eight Fallacies. Well, Eight Fallacies of the Western Christian Worldview. And um, that's what they asked me to speak about. Um, I'm not sure there are only eight. <laughs> <laughs> but there are just maybe enough time just to get eight in. I got to admit, now, when I got in that, because I, I, I came from a sort of a, a baptist you know, even though I was raised in uh, Michigan, I was raised in a, what I call a small pocket of the south up near Detroit um, because everybody was moving up north to work. All the poorest people were moving up north to, to work in the factories, the automobile factories. And so to my dad says down in Mississippi, they taught him the three R's, the reading, writing, and road to Detroit. So, uh, so I ended up being uh, raised in Michigan around a bunch of Southern people, and in a, actually uh, as a child in a Southern or American Baptist church that was sort of full of Southern Baptist people. So they knew what revival was. I knew what revival was. It was uh, everybody sort of uh, you know uh, pulls out all the stops, and you you either put up a tent or you have a guest preacher come in, and and, uh, and there was that sort of kind of atmosphere, but with a little more. Um, uh, mixed ethnicities around and uh, then uh, what you usually see and uh, a, a little louder music maybe gospel music and um, so I have to say actually before the eight fallacies I did a little bit of preaching you did I I, I did not. some I did some revival type you, preaching yeah, you got into if it. people want to hear that they can let us know <laughs> um, uh, but uh, it's not something I get a chance to do very often and so it was uh, but it sort of all came back to me there so. <laughs> it's like a muscle you had an exercise in that's a while, right like riding a bike 
you know, they came right back to you. That was that was interesting to to watch, and it really fit the atmosphere in the place. I think people got into it. It was good. Yeah, and they, they might have heard some things that they didn't want to hear. Uh, I heard something <laughs> I've never heard you say before, which is, and we're going to have to do an episode on this. You said that sometimes you get the government you deserve. Oh, that's right. I and I had that. never heard you say that before. Yeah. And you said there are times like this where the stuff that's been below the surface um, rears its head, and it's as if God is saying, do you see what you really are? Yeah, and like holding a mirror up. Kind of like a mirror from the White House. Right. Wow. So I was like, man, I don't know if, I don't know how that's going to go in this room. Yeah, we might want to do an episode on that. (laughs) Okay. But today you're going to hear Randy's presentation, the eight fallacies. Eight fallacies of the Western Christian worldview. So we will look forward to your feedback. Um, If you have any questions or comments or want us to follow up, pursue any one of these eight on a upcoming podcast let us know that thank you for your support both on facebook and as as patreon supporters we are really grateful for your contribution and for your upcoming interaction as we get ready for our first zoom live recording yeah and remember uh, as we said last time Get your toe in the door, get your foot in the door, get your head in the door, but get through the door and help us out. Enjoy this presentation, and we will look forward to seeing you on a future episode. Let us know what you think.
this Christianity that's been so enjoyed with empire and find Jesus once again. Are you ready? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anybody know the Lord's here? Who watches the best for Come on. She's a wild woman. She was a robot who got a consciousness and decided she was wild. I'm a wild Indian. Indian is Indian, by the way. So what say. They wanted me to be civilized, but I realized along the way if civilized men uh, align myself with empire, then I don't want to be a wild man. So, after 500 years of our native people observing what's been going on, we have a little something to say. You know, we got a little bitty dog in our house. His name is Yoma. It means bear. He's about the name. <laughs> and he got a real loud yapper. <clears throat> and, you know, when we first got going, uh, I would get up to walk to the bathroom or something like that. I'm not going to train my age to tell you how many times a night I do that. <laughs> and, uh, and I would walk and <laughs> accidentally kick Yoma. After a while, Yoma figured, So as native people, we've been watching white people for a long time. You know, we always think there's some equivalency. It's like sort of like, well, we need to learn about each other. Nah, you need to learn about us and other people. But we know a lot about you. We become experts. The first, what I call the foundation of fallacy, is dualism. What is dualism? Dualism is that uh, worldview that says the material is not as important as quote unquote spiritual. Okay? It says that your mind is more important than your body, or your uh, spiritual life is more important than the earth. And you can see what kind of trouble that's gotten us into. Right now, the earth is angry. Mother Earth is fighting back. She's like, well, if you're going to try and get rid of me, guess who's going first? See, everybody's always worried about, you know, we have to save the Earth. Uh, I think we have to worry more about ourselves. Anybody who, who messes with Mother Nature knows it, that she always does. So it's, it's that... that uh, Idea that the physical is bad and the, or in the spiritual or the the mind is better, right? Or it's or the physical is less good and the mind or the spirit is better. It creates this binary thinking where we think it's, things are either right or wrong. Our American language is built into that. Think about like well, we live on a farm and we have plants. Some of those plants have been classified as weeds because of binary thinking. But actually, a lot of those plants that we call weeds, our Indian people say those are medicines. So we just call them misplaced plants. <laughs> the same thing with animals. We have animals. We have environments. But it's like, you know, the whole language is built on this binary system. Yes, no. Uh, heaven, hell. Good, bad. You know. Sinner saved. It's like, you know, if you're, you're in or you're out. You're one or the other. 
there's this inability to hold things in tension. Right? That comes from the Western worldview, folks. Everybody in the world doesn't think that way. In fact, most of the people in the world don't think that way. Jesus said, your shalom kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. Same thing. Heaven is God's throne, earth is God's footstool. Don't swear by either one because all are sinful. Greatest commandment. That's just like the first one. Oh, love God with all you have. That's the first. Wait a minute. Matthew said, but the second was just like it. Love your neighbor the way you love yourself. Love your neighbor the way you love yourself. Well, what does that mean? You want to feed? You want to eat? You got to feed that. Feed you. You want to have a shower? Make sure they get a shower. You want to have housing? Make sure they have housing. You want to be treated justly? Make sure that they are treated justly. Yeah. It's not complicated. That's how you love God. Second, fallacy of the Western Christian world. Extrinsic compartmentalization. Those are big words, I know. Extrinsic, outside, compartmentalization is to reduce. There's reductionism inviting and classifies things into many parts with little attention to the whole. Creates unrelated categories. Right? We do that in theology all the time. We we segment God up into uh, this act of salvation and this is incarnation and this part is, you know, the uh, uh, ecclesiology and this part is, you know, eschatology and future things. And so that, and then those things begin to be studied as if it's not all one picture. We do the same thing with our bodies. We have podiatrists, we have cardiologists, and, and we have, you know, neuro, uh, neurologists and all the rest. And it's wonderful that all of those things can be studied in depth. And that, the Western mind is great at that. It's wonderful. But guess what? When you go to treat a person, you can't just treat them like they are a heart or they are a foot. Or they're just made of nerves. Because if they're not all talking to each other, and most of the time, they're not. You get treated not like a whole person, but as a part of a person. That's what extrinsic categorization does. And that's part of the Western world. We do it without thinking. We don't think in wholes. We don't think of a whole system. Jesus said, sweep out the whole house. Make sure you get the whole thing right. Right? Because if you don't, it's going to come back and bite you. That's my interpretation. Hierarchy. Wait a minute now. What are you, an anarchist? I'm still trying to decide that. <coughs> Hierarchy. Oh, what if things got to be kind of decent in order, right? That don't mean someone has to tell somebody else what to do all the time. So, in about 100 AD, let me do my PhD thing now. <laughs> a guy named Ignatius, a man guy, tried to contextualize the church to the Roman Empire. And what he did was he said, you know, the Roman Empire did it was basically a military uh, force. And he said, okay, let's make um, uh, 
bishops like Phil Marshalls. None of those great pastors like Catholics. And on and on. And so the hierarchy began to develop. And so those things that you see in Scripture, pastors, uh, bishops, etc., all of those which are found only in the plural, by the way, those rather than just being functions, they became offices. Now, now in order to function, we had to have somebody to tell us what to do. Well, it wasn't such a bad thing when the church was under persecution. But once the church was merged with Constantine, it was just right to become a military army. And boy, did we. We had our marching orders and we had our hierarchies. And we've never been able to shake that, folks. Well, what's wrong with that? Jesus said, don't rule over each other the way the Gentiles do. Do you hear me? Don't rule over each other the way the Gentiles do. But serve one another. See, we take that as a Christian virtue. Could mean that he meant that as a government too. Why is that only a virtue outside of hierarchy? Yeah. We forget in Acts 15. Well, what about? And I've heard all the what abouts. <laughs> what about Acts 15? Where all the leaders went together and made a decision. You just didn't read part of it. Because it says, and with the whole church they decided. Number four, utopianism. And I'm going to get really practical here. I don't even have to get philosophical. PhD-ish. Okay? You just look at any history and any people with a utopian dream have just about on almost every occasion been able to, when they were in power, to do whatever they wanted to justify treating other people differently. Because the means justify the end in a utopian vision. And let me tell you, we have a Christianity that is utopian vision. It's all about heaven. It's all about the spirit. It's all about what's going to be one day. Instead of where we're at right now. And what we're doing right now in this earth. People ask me sometimes, what's your eschatology? How do you think about future things? <coughs> and I, and I think pretty much it's something that verse where Jesus said, um, today has enough trouble of its own, so don't worry about tomorrow. Yeah. <coughs> Jesus talked about the kingdom of God being here. From five individualism, we all know about that one. I don't have to preach on that one. We know that we're probably the most individualistic society in the history of the world. But when we read the scriptures, we read it about me, not about us, not about my community. And yet it was written by people who had no idea of what we're talking about right now. It wasn't written by people who thought individually. They were people who thought corporately. They were people who were concerned about their whole community. That's why I kind of like hanging with the Paris Collective people. Because, you know, at first I was kind of scared. 
And then I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I found the biblical a little bit. <laughs> Being concerned about their whole community, their whole parish and stuff. So we were like, I, I think we can hang with one So they lost this corporateness. They interpreted the scriptures through the big me. You know, yeah, it's for me. As a byproduct of being for us. Right? Competitiveness comes out of this individual. Not that it's that, that's a healthy competition. It's kind of a good thing. We, we have fun games and other things like that. But it's when, when I have to beat you in order to win. Yeah. Majority rule, this is the craziest thing. My pastor at Indian church, we all got together and we talked and we talked through things. And it was consensus driven, right? Yeah. Now, how do you run a whole church that way? I don't know. It just kind of works out. But, you know. This whole thing of where I've been in another situation where we all get together and, and decide whether this carpet has to be blue or green. And 51% says blue, and 49 says green, and everybody walks away angry with each other. I don't think that's how the good operational model. And so maybe we need to rethink that, uh, that individualism that drives this stuff. Jesus said, love one another, two or three are gathered. All of There's 31 one another's in the New Testament. Love one another, encourage one another, admonish one another, um, be kind to one another. All of those kind of things. It's all about us, not about me. What's that say? So this is kind of a little bit of what we talked about this afternoon earlier. Um, and one of the first statements I said is, you know what? In order to go along with white supremacy, guess what? You don't have to be white. Because society forces us to the place where if we want to make it, we have to assimilate it. So we have major people like that. It's not really fair sometimes, right? Our community, I'll just talk for our community, we say you're an apple. Red on the outside, white on the inside. But sometimes people are like, well, you know, if I want my children to, to, to have a, a life that's full of less pain, then we have to do this. I understand where people come from. Why do we have to do it? Because why is first? It's the law of man. It's the ethos of the man. It is the undergirding values that we all have, uh, have taken. Uh, there's a wonderful book I'm reading right now. Leroy told me he's got it. I'm going to see who gets it read first. Uh, Kelly Brown Douglas is called Standing Ground. Anybody read that? So, so one of the things she's bringing in is the Anglo-Saxon myth. And she's doing a good job of looking that up and, uh, and talking about the Anglo-Saxon myth. Which basically says that white people deserve all the knowledge and the power. They deserve to rule. And believe me, not only have uh, 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 presidential orders been used to make that happen, to actually kill people, 
Native American boarding schools, reservations, um, uh, Jim Crow, you know, all of these things by order of the president, the, the Japanese internment camps. See, so we give the president that much power, that's not really democracy. <coughs> all these things have been done by presidential order. Because, and people went along with it. Why? Because they're complicit. They somehow have been duped into the idea that the Anglo-Saxon quote-unquote race has the right to rule. And that's all changed. So the Greeks had it, they had their others, the, the Romans had their savages, the Greeks had their barbarians, the English had their heathen, they all had names for it, you know. Um, we have names for them now. Um, and uh, uh, people... Um, in the highest office of the land, I have names for people like that. And we go along with it. Because maybe deep inside we think, well, maybe white people do deserve to run everything. But Jesus, when he was in his hometown, speaking to his Jewish homies, was talking about himself and his, his uh, Message was shalom and how he's going to live that out, how he's going to open blind eyes and set prisoners free and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus then turns to him and says, You know, there was a lot of widows in Israel during the time of famine, but Elijah was sent to the widow of Zarephath and fed her. And then he turned and said, Oh, and there's a lot of, uh, and remember at the time, the Syrians were the occupiers of Israel. There was a lot of lepers in Israel. But you know what? God ended up going to a guy named Naaman, who was the captain of the Syrian guard, and Elisha asked him to dip in the water, and he was healed. What's, what's so wrong with that? You see, they thought they had God in a bubble. They had God in a box. And he was a gift wrapped for them. That they were God's gift to the human race. And Jesus stands right there and says, you know what? God's interested in all kinds of people. As much as he's interested in Israel. They thought that was a wonderful suggestion. So they put him on their shoulders and they prayed him through town. And they made up slogans about why Jesus is great. No. They wanted to throw him off a cliff because they hated him. And they wanted to kill him. Because what happens when one group begins to claim God's sovereign right over everyone else, the whole world is in peril. Set up materialism, things over people, greed. Uh, you know, J. Paul Getty, right? How much money would it take for you to be happy? Just a little more. Just a little more. We love our stuff. I got my iPhone over there. You know? Um, you know, I love my stuff. But you know, stuff is not important. 
So that's a lesson that when you're having to learn stuff is not more important to people. And God said you can't love God and things. Last thing. Propositional thinking. Linear thinking. A to B. Seems very efficient. So I preached and spoke and taught really I guess I was teaching today because when I preach, I use both hands. When I teach, I just use one hand. No, I didn't, I didn't get these three points in the poem. They, we think that's the most efficient, efficient way to communicate. We figured it out. We teach it. We preach it. And yet, if you're a pastor here, almost everybody goes home from your congregations and, and they, someone says, let's talk about the sermon. And then they go, well, I forgot what they said. Or, I forgot what she said. Well, what about the children's story? Oh, yeah, let's talk about that. Right? Because we remember story. Now, you're going to forget everything else I said, but you're going to remember something about my own experience in my life. You're going to remember what I said about Jesus in my life. Which is the most important thing anyway. So, story is added for entertainment in our system. But you know, Jesus spoke, not exclusively, but almost exclusively in story. And I would have figured that 70% of the Bible is story. And then the Old Testament professors at my seminary corrected me, and they said 90%. 90% is story. And yet we figured out a better way. We find ourselves in story. I'm hoping that these eight points, that you found yourself somewhere in that story, and then you begin to work on that little something. Because this is our red pill moment. My little uh, 19 year old, well, he's not so little, he was like 240 pounds or something like <laughs> But um, he was looking over my shoulder when I put this up. And, he goes, Dad, that's a really old thing. I said, yeah, but you remember what it's about, right? He goes, okay, you got me. <laughs> so, and, and actually, I've never even seen the movies, to be honest. <laughs> I saw that part. <laughs> but it's the idea of, do we want to live in this socially destructive reality of all of these things, or do we want to live real in the moment? And I'm here to say, you know, even though I've got all my faults and I, you know, I hadn't been to a real church in nine years or whatever that, you know, all the things that I've told you about myself, and I can be wrong, and, and I told the, the people who were here in the, the earlier session that I'm a professor, which means I think I know a lot more than I actually do. <laughs> but even I know that Jesus is real. And that Jesus will walk with us together. Jesus will walk with us together. Are you ready for that? Yeah, I'm glad just a few people answered. If you're not ready, I don't want you to answer. I want you to think about it. I'm not going to say, are you ready for that? And have everybody, you know, 
do what I call holy pokey. Do it as I said, put your right foot in, put your right foot out, you know. I want you to think about it. Thank you.